0: Well, let's start off uh, with what I hope to be uh, a fun question. Why is it that people get ulcers and zebras don't? I mean, think about it. The life of a zebra is much more stressful uh, than that of a human being. Uh, We don't sit out on the prairie uh, waiting for a lion to come charge us, uh, and then if he catches us, all of our friends are going to watch from the forest as... We get eaten alive. Uh, But uh, there is something about human nature uh, that we will experience uh, ulcers over things like I sent an email to my friend and they did not respond as quickly as I thought they should have and so I wonder if they're upset with me. I begin to wonder what the financial state of affairs are going to be like over the course of the next couple of decades and how that will impair my ability uh, to retire with comfort. Uh, What kind of spouse are my children going to grow up and marry and what kind of world are my grandchildren going to grow up in? There are things about those questions that will give us an ulcer that the possibility of being eaten alive by a lion does not to a zebra. Um, And I think that is uniquely human. Um, And I think that comes from the fact uh, that we have the ability to anticipate and reflect uh, like no other living being does. And so not only can we learn from the past, we can be shamed or traumatized by the past. And not only can we plan for the future, Uh, we can project many worst-case scenarios into the future. And so the same abilities that account for some of the greatest human achievements are the same abilities uh, that account for some of our most intense internal tortures. Now, if we place that in a a theological context for just a moment, uh, if you think back to Genesis 3, Uh, When Satan was tempting Eve, he said, if you eat this fruit, uh, you will get to be like God. And and like most lies, I think that was partly true. There was a sense that, that when we stepped out of active reliance upon God in the moment, we began to live with the ability to bear the full weight of past, present, and future with only the ability to impact the present. And so I think it really is from that event of the fall uh, that anxiety and depression became a normal part. Not healthy, not normal in the sense of God's design, but predominant experience of human nature. And so in that sense, we, we are kind of saying that all anxiety... Uh, and depression is rooted in the fall. Now in just a minute, we're going to come to the whole sin-suffering question here in just a little bit. Um, But uh, the human capacity for unhealthy, untimely depression and anxiety became possible uh, because of that kind of epic moment at the beginning uh, of human history. Uh, Now a couple of people who would maybe say that same concept in in different ways, uh, one of those is Charles Spurgeon. He says, such strange creatures are we uh, that we probably smart more under the blows which never fall upon us than we do under those which actually come. I suffer more stress because of the things that I anticipate that never happen than than I do over those things that really do happen and that I can interact with. The rod of God does not smite us as sharply as the rod of our own imagination. Uh, Our groundless fears are our chief tormentors Um, another group of counselors would say the fact that human beings are self transcendent that we tend to be able to step outside of ourselves and look at our life as a whole uh, and thus contemplate our own non-being and death I mean we're the only creatures that think about our death Uh, create an anxiety which is central to our lives human beings live in the dilemma of both our creatureliness and our self-transcendence which generates immense anxiety. The simultaneous anxiety of living, that is, how am I going to get through the day, and dying? What am I entire life about? What is it that's going to make life satisfying? How am I going to know if this life has been worth it when I get to the end of my days? Only people grapple with those things. And so when we frame our discussion this way, we begin to ask the question, Um, Are we trying to say that all anxiety uh, and depression is sin? Uh, That it is something over which we have control? Uh, No. Um, In a separate presentation we've done on mental illness, we've wrestled with the question of how do we tell if a given struggle has its roots in uh, our environment, in our physiology, or in our choices and beliefs? Uh, And I would just recommend... Uh, that presentation that's at bradhambrick.com backslash uh, mental illness, if, if we want to grapple with that. Uh, but in this presentation, where we look at depression and anxiety from the standpoint of personal responsibility, uh, we want to examine how do our beliefs, our values, our choices, impact our experience of depression and anxiety, and how does the gospel speak to those in such a way that if those experiences are rooted or resulting in sin, that we find forgiveness for that, uh, that we find hope and purpose that is greater uh, than the fear uh, that we may experience, uh, and that we, uh, we find truth to counter uh, the lies that is embedded in so much of our fears. Uh, now, if as you go through this and we sort some of our moral, emotional laundry, You see, I think my anxiety and depression is more rooted in suffering uh, than it is in uh, personal responsibility. Uh, But I would just encourage you to go back to that seminar and work through the one where we deal with depression and anxiety uh, from a suffering paradigm. Uh, And so as much as uh, we want to walk through this and learn how to deal with depression and anxiety in the area of personal responsibility, uh, we want to learn to sort our emotional laundry uh, to know how to rely on the gospel in a given occasion. And it, um, Charles Hodges, when it comes to sin and suffering, uh, he makes a quote here. He's got a case study, Eve. He's not talking about Genesis 1-3, Eve. He's just talking like one of us named Eve. Uh, he says, at some point, Eve went from suffering to using that suffering to justify living in a way uh, that disobeyed, even rebelled against God. And so part of when we start talking about suffering and personal responsibility, uh, we have to recognize uh, that every one of us is a sinner, a sufferer, and a saint all at the same time. Uh, And so it's not as if some of us are sufferers and some of us are sinners and some of us will need one seminar and some of us will need the other. Uh, We're all each of those. Uh, And in any given moment, one aspect of that may be more dominant in our emotions than the other. And we just need to learn to sort through that. Uh, Now one of the things we give you in this first step as we try to admit that we have a struggle that we cannot overcome without God uh, is an assessment to help us get to know our experience of depression and anxiety better. Uh, Because one of the things that I frequently find is that once uh, this experience of depression and anxiety becomes large in our life, it begins to explain everything. And it becomes this one great big lump of an experience. That if we experience anything unpleasant, it just goes in that great big basket. And so from an assessment like this, um, what I'd want you to be able to do uh, is to be able to identify some of the different features of that experience so that we can take that big experience and begin to divide it into some smaller, more manageable pieces. Uh, now this is the same evaluation that we use in the suffering paradigm uh, because the experience itself is not that different. Uh, and, and this is one of the things that often surprises people is um, you know, the, the neurophysiology of our emotions aren't all that different. And so, if you take that experience that you have when you're watching your favorite sports team and it's coming down to the fourth quarter or the ninth inning, like it was for me with my St. Louis Cardinals when we lost this week, uh, and you're cheering for that team and you've got that sense of suspense, and you were to check the neurophysiology of that, it would not be that different uh, from when you experience anxiety and you wonder, oh no, it's a stormy night, my spouse is out, I wonder if they're going to make it home safely or if I'm going to spend the rest of my life as a widow. Uh, That sense of unrest. One is enjoyable. We're watching the game as a form of entertainment. The other is one that we would consider unpleasant. Uh, The physiology of that uh, is is near mirrored. Uh, And that's why we don't have uh, two separate evaluations here. Uh, But let's just go through and see uh, what some of the experiences could be. Uh, there's generalized anxiety. Uh, that's when uh, anxiety has migrated uh, from an, of an unpleasant response to unpleasant events to a way of life. Um, Ed Welch gives us a couple of things that I think are helpful in reflecting on it at this point. He says, the problem is compounded with men because men aren't supposed to be afraid. With no permission to discuss fears, men opt for anger. And so oftentimes, instead of admitting, I feel weak, I'm not sure what to do, I feel insecure, uh, with the insecurity of that, men often opt for anger as a way to mask uh, a struggle with anxiety. Uh, Another uh, helpful picture here, uh, Ed Welch says, worriers are visionaries, minus the optimism." They are forever looking at the future and are fully convinced of what they see. They're just not, not optimistic about it. And no one can prove a worry or wrong. So there is a veneer, because there is a re- veneer of reasonableness to every worry. Uh, worry has become your tally mind to ward off future catastrophe. If I brace for it, it can't surprise me. Uh, and so again, that's where we mean it Just it becomes this way of life. And then there's situational Depression. And this is when the uh, down mood that we experience is proportional to the event that triggered it. Um, and, and the problem is, as Welch says again, is that fear and anxiety are more confident than they should be. You, you will trust in something or someone that's part of the human experience. And when depression and anxiety become strong in our life, the problem is we've lost the ability to doubt our fears. We assume our fears are the most honest part of our human anatomy. And part of what we want to learn how to do uh, is to doubt our fears. Uh, Now, situational depression uh, can become a major depressive episode, as it's commonly called. Uh, This just means depression has become enough a part of our life uh, that it's unwise to rely on the mere passing of time as something that's going to create relief. Uh, Seasonal affective struggles. um, You know, there's lots of theories about why that may be, that there's a heightened sense of depression and anxiety for many people in the winter months, uh, whether that's our exposure to sunlight, circadian rhythms, changes in activity level. um, You know, that's where I would say consult with a physician. See if going to a tanning bed helps. Seeing if increasing your amount of physical activity is a benefit. Uh, social phobias, uh, or specific phobias. Um, if, you, if you go through here and, and you think of a specific phobia that you struggle with, and there is a clear point, and you're like, I am scared of dogs because when I was seven years old, this dog came and bit and took a piece out of my face. Uh, well, chances are, as opposed to a specific phobia, uh, it's more likely that what you struggle with is a post-traumatic response to something like that. If you don't have one of those clear identifiable triggers, uh, then it may be more of a specific phobia. Uh, Mania, uh, that's kind of the second pole of bipolar. Uh, And if you want to look at what some of the symptoms would be there, uh, you can go to uh, questions 41 to 45 in the questionnaire. Uh, Panic attacks. uh, This is where our experience of anxiety uh, rapidly escalates uh, to the point that it arrests Uh, Our cognitive activities, our our respiratory system, we we have a hard time catching our breath, we have cold sweats, Um, that would be a panic attack. Uh, Post-traumatic stress is something that we'll come back later and deal with as a a separate seminar, but I think it's worth kind of screening for uh, in a a general presentation on depression and anxiety. Uh, But this is when we go through an experience that is more than we are prepared to go through at the time that we're asked to go through it. Uh, and there is uh, a residual emotional impact uh, where certain things trigger very strong responses. Uh, certain emotions become constricted. Um, and, and it's just harder for us to relate um, relationally and emotionally like we did before that traumatic experience. Uh, obsessive-compulsive disorder. Uh, This is where we have some form of an irrational fear. Uh, Usually we can tell it's irrational. Uh, That is the obsessive component, whether it's the traditional locking doors or germs or something like that. Um, And then we have some kind of repeated ritual that we do that we think is going to offset the fear, but actually only winds up exacerbating it. Uh, That's the compulsion part. Uh, and, And with that kind of thing, what we need to see is that the pattern of thought Uh, is more the struggle uh, than the content of thought. Uh, Religious scrupulosity is a form of OCD uh, where that same kind of obsessive, compulsive uh, trait uh, gets uh, fixated on whether or not we've committed the unpardonable sin, whether or not we've lost our salvation, whether we've blasphemed the Holy Spirit, uh, things of that nature. Uh, And then suicidal considerations. Um, You know, Appendix B uh, is something that if you're walking with a friend uh, and they're at that point where they're starting to despair of life, and you say, what are some wise things for me to begin to do at that juncture? Uh, Appendix B is meant to be kind of a a first aid exercise there. Uh, But as we've looked at this, you said we we overview what depression and anxiety is in this kind of way. We understand how it's rooted in uh, the overall experience of the fall what is it that we want to be able to do with that at this point? One, we want to be able to put our struggle into words. We want to be able to say, these are the features of depression anxiety that I struggle with. Uh, And with that, be able to say, I can admit that I need God to overcome that. And God is good for bringing this to my attention to such a point that I quit trying to do it on my own. And I realize that, in this struggle, God is with me and for me. And that's one of the things that I hope we can emphasize in a, in, a, in a talk like this. Is sometimes when we talk about depression anxiety being rooted in personal responsibility, it comes across as if God's mad at us. Uh, as if somehow He's like, get your act together and when you can fix all this and you go through all nine steps of this seminar, then come back and you can go down the sidewalk and worship in the, in the big center. No like any other area of our life that needs redemption, uh, He is for us in that journey. Uh, And and this would be uh, no different from that.